Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 13th. Remember the Arrive Can app? We all needed to download and use it during the pandemic in order to leave the country. Well, it's official. According to a new report from the Auditor General, it was poorly managed and a waste of money. We get details on the report from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Heart disease is the number one killer of women worldwide and the leading cause of premature death in women in Canada. February 13th is National Wear Red Day to promote a healthier lifestyle and healthier heart. We talk about the importance of the day with Dr. Rupinder Sandhu, Director of the Women's Cardiovascular Health Initiative at the Libin Cardiovascular Institute. And finally, Valentine's Day is all about relationships. When is the last time you thought about your relationship with money? We speak with Nicole Olson, licensed insolvency trustee and senior vice president at BDO Debt Solutions, on how you can strengthen your relationship with your personal finances. Is anyone really surprised when news broke yesterday about the absolute failure of the Arrive Can app that was used during the COVID pandemic? Joining us to talk about that and all the latest news out of Ottawa is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing? Oh, well, better than I was. My voice is still uh, a little bit of a mess, as you can probably hear. I, my recommendation would be like COVID and strep and knocking out your immune system for several weeks. Not a great idea. No, this but is I'm back. This is not a good <laughs> plan. Of. But think how strong your immune system will be once you get through it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to donate blood. It'll be like gold with the amount of like antibodies in it at this point. <laughs> exactly. Hey, let's focus on the announcement yesterday for a moment. Uh, what was the Auditor General's basic findings on that? What we all knew was a disastrous Arrive Can app. Yeah, I think you just summed it up perfectly, right? I mean, Arrive Can at best was difficult to use. Um, at worst for users was falsely quarantining them. Uh, they found thousands of people were falsely quarantined. Um, and I can tell you personally, it happened with my family when I was coming back from Hawaii with my mom. Um, my dad had died a few months earlier. We were going to his funeral. We'd taken a break to go and try to relax. And the app quarantined her, even though she was vaccinated. Um, and we managed to get that lifted because I was fortunate. And I tweeted about it and people saw that and realized it was wrong and removed it. But for thousands of people who don't have that platform, um, you know, she would have missed my father's funeral uh, or risked breaking a federal quarantine. So there was real issues with how the app functioned that the Auditor General found. Beyond that, she also found huge financial mismanagement, that all kinds of basic steps to track things like expenses were missing. They couldn't even calculate how much it actually cost because the way that the invoices were submitted did not reveal that information. I mean, how do you submit invoices without clear amounts on them? Uh, the procurement process went to a small company that was non-competitive. It was not clear why that company was uh, picked. There was basic management and procurement protocols that were not followed. And there's other stuff we still don't know yet. Last we heard at the end of last week, <clears throat> excuse me, there was uh, a, a parliamentary committee looking at this and they basically shut it down and said they'd seen things that were quote-unquote scary we don't know what those things were in there but there was comments and concerns about potential criminal investigations so i don't think that this arrive can app story is anywhere near over just yet do we know you mentioned there were some questions surrounding the financials mercedes but do we know how much of a wallop this is uh, for the wallets of canadians in the end 
I mean, we don't at the end of the day because we have no sense of what the real total really is. Uh, we know the Auditor General released the number she believed it could be around, but she was very careful to say that uh, because you can't see all the invoices and because normal management practices were not followed, at the end of the day, she was basically having to kind of say, here's what we do know and, and put a, a, you know, pin the tail on the donkey. But part of the problem is that taxpayers don't actually know how much this costs because it was not properly accounted for. Um, and that is so far outside the norm of anything that's done in government. I mean, usually things run over budget, but you can very clearly track down to the number because there's such a standardized way of doing things, how much something costs. And in this case, it's just all over the place and approximations, and it's not clear who always had subcontracts. Uh, the company that got the big ArriveCan contract was subcontracting to other companies. How much were they charging? Uh, there was questions about weird things like going for whiskey tastings, which is essentially lobbying, which you can't do. Does that count as a form of payment? Um, it's not supposed to, but there, there's still really uh, a lot of murkiness around how much at the end of the day this will have cost the taxpayer. There, not to mention people who got quarantined, for example, for two weeks and couldn't work, and in some cases may have lost income as a result of that. Andy and I were just talking about how we wished we had been quarantined for a couple of weeks in that <laughs> hotel and been looked after. But jokingly, um, all that aside, I mean, I think we can all understand the government was trying to do its best at the time in a really difficult situation that we'd never been through before. But how do you mess it up this badly? And has there been any response from the federal Liberals? Well, interestingly, Dominic LeBlanc is the one responding to this, and he's sort of one of the most experienced cabinet ministers, and, and he didn't try to sugarcoat it, I think, like some would have yesterday. He basically said, yes, it was the pandemic. Yes, everyone was in mass confusion, but that's no excuse for what happened here. Um, you know, you, you can't just end run every version of um, government protocols. It might have been more understandable around something like PPE, right, like masks and gloves, and you're just like so desperate to get them. But an app to get back into Canada, um, which, by the way, the border agents hated because it was so hard to use that they basically became tech support. So they'd be sitting there trying to help people navigate through. Um, it, you know, was it necessary? That's one of the questions. It may well have been that it would have just been too clogged. Uh, but the way that it was done is inexplicable. And there, there are aberrations here that don't match the pattern of the way that other sort of emergency procurements were done. There's questions about who benefited. And in fact, there's people, there's like senior uh, public servants who have been suspended. So that tells you that this is more than just kind of concerns that it may have been done poorly. There's concerns in this case about intent or, or you don't see those kinds of actions being taken. Mercedes also uh, for something completely different. Last week, the federal government held a summit to address vehicle thefts in Canada. What steps are being taken to the uh, issue to address the issue uh, rather? And uh, will we see some movement on this? Well, I mean, that's that's the big question is how do you stop it, right? And the, the most obvious way that you'd stop it is to have some sort of an export control. Interesting thing, Canadian ports and, and borders track people coming in and, and goods coming in. We don't always track people leaving, I mean, at all, right? When you go to the airport, does anyone ask you where you're going? Do you go through customs? No, you just go through airport security. Um, and, and essentially tracking all the goods, like x-raying all these boxes, they're saying is just too overwhelming. So there has to be more strategies that, that relate to policing, which of course is not a federal mandate, uh, potentially more money there. They're trying to bring in the car makers to talk to them as well. Um, if you bought a car recently, uh, I, I leased a new one, and I can tell you that one of the biggest expenses 
expenses, and they were talking about this, is insurance because of vehicle theft now. And especially with certain kinds of newer vehicles, the insurance is through the roof because they're easy to steal. So you can't even get insurance or decent insurance unless you have anti-theft devices installed. So they're talking to car manufacturers about that. And they're also talking to insurance companies um, about sort of making people pay for stolen cars, essentially, with these higher premiums, which they're not at fault for. They didn't leave their vehicle unlocked and running. These are sophisticated uh, devices that allow you to intervene and and basically override an electronic lock system on a computer and get into the vehicle. They're looking at how to deal with, as well, um, those sort of devices. Like, how do you get them off the market so it's not so easy to steal? Because at this point, you can walk up kind of near someone's front door and pick up their key scan and and get into the vehicle and drive away with it. Um, it's, It's quite simple in some cases. And so they're looking at ways to try to halt that. What's interesting is it's a very real issue, but this is not typically something the federal government would be talking about. So it also gives you a hint that Justin Trudeau's government is looking for popular issues where they can tell people we care about what's happening to you to try to connect with voters. But so far, the polls are suggesting uh, that strategy is is not working for them. But I I suspect that you're going to see more of this kind of like very practical hands-on, even if it's not federal government, uh, typical approach that they're going to try to connect with. Mercedes, so much to cover today, as always. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. Heart disease is the number one killer of women worldwide and the leading cause of premature death in women in Canada. Today, February 13th, is National Wear Red Day to promote a healthier lifestyle and a healthier heart. Joining us with some important information that you need to know is Dr. Rupinder Sandhu, Director of the Women's Cardiovascular Health Initiative at the Libent Cardiovascular Institute. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about the campaign, National Wear Red Day? Why is this important? Well, Wear Red is a campaign to increase awareness of the devastating consequences of heart disease in women. As you mentioned, it's the leading cause of death in women, yet nearly 40% of people in Canada are unaware of this statistic. It's interesting because uh, we all have a heart. Uh, we all have hearts, and a lot of us, for example, people thought I was a robot, Dr. Sandu, but we all have hearts. <laughs> but why does heart disease look different in women compared to men? Is there a difference? Yeah, well, we know that there's been underrepresentation of women in research related to the heart for decades. And this has meant that heart disease remains underrecognized, underdiagnosed, and undertreated. So just to give you an example, half of women who experience a heart attack have their symptoms go unrecognized. And this is because men and women can present differently when it comes to symptoms of a heart attack. So what you typically think about for uh, a heart attack is the central chest pressure, tightness and discomfort. And that may be true for some women, but for others, the symptoms may be quite different. So it may be discomfort in the neck or the jaw the shoulder or upper back, and they may present with shortness of breath or describe just unusual fatigue or weakness or nausea. So sometimes these are symptoms that women are unaware of and healthcare providers may be unaware of that are related to heart disease. You kind of touched on it, Dr. Sandhu, and and I started off saying in Canada, a woman dies of a heart-related condition every 16 minutes. So globally, cardiovascular disease affects one in three women. So why is it so understudied, underdiagnosed, and undertreated? 
That's a great question. I think part of it is just our ability to understand right from the beginning that men and women are different. They have biological differences and that we can't just treat them the same as men. And in our clinical studies, when it comes to recruitment or enrollment of women, it's really been uh, suboptimal. So just increasing the awareness that among women that we need them to participate in research. The other is for researchers to concentrate on making sure that the work that they're doing focuses on sex and gender differences, that we're doing those analysis so that we're able to move the needle forward when it comes to identifying just the optimal treatment when it comes to women and heart disease. It's fine to talk about these stats, uh, Dr. Sandu, and it's, you know, uh, one of these cases that the stats are, are, are uh, on the grim side when it comes to women and heart uh, disease and heart attacks. But in the end, what about the preventative nature? What can we do to not get to that point? What do you recommend for women? Well, there are traditional risk factors that increase the risk of heart disease for both men and women, and we should know about them. Smoking, high blood pressure diabetes. So these are risk factors that are modifiable. We can optimize these risk factors. But it is also important to know that women have unique exposures to a host of other reproductive factors across their life course that men don't, that can increase their risk for developing heart disease later in life. So things like high blood pressure during pregnancy or diabetes during pregnancy. So it's just the combination of being aware of all the potential risk factors that women may face. Doctor, curious because, uh, you know, we as as women, as, as mothers, as females, we often take care of everyone else around us. So is that part of the problem with women's heart health and the issues relating to it is that we're, we're so busy kind of looking after everybody else that we, we forget to take care of ourselves sometimes and, and just and really pay attention to what might be a symptom? Absolutely. I think women um, have so much on their plate on a daily basis. They're always taking care of everyone else and they're not always recognizing when they feel unwell and they may may prioritize what are their family members getting health care when they need it versus themselves. So that is part of the issue. And also when it comes to research, I mean, maybe that is also a reason why women are reluctant to participate because the research studies and the follow-up don't always make it easy for them to get involved. So we need to, one, increase the awareness of heart disease and symptoms, make it easier for them to access health care in a way that's more conducive to their lifestyle. And we're, we're really trying to do that with the Women's Cardiovascular Health Initiative. We're trying to have innovative research educate our our, um, physicians uh, that are really the next generation, community engagement, and uh, we're working towards clinical care that's focused specifically on women's heart health. And, of course, we talk about the Libin Cardiovascular Institute, Dr. Sandu. Um, You know, in the work that you do, you talk about some of the tech, but how do we compare to other cities when it comes to battling and addressing cardiovascular disease? Well, I think it's important to recognize that the Living Cardiovascular Institute has prioritized women's heart health with the creation of this Women's Cardiovascular Health Initiative. And there are other women's heart clinics uh, across Canada, but they're few and far between. And so I think in terms of really understanding the burden of heart disease across Canada, this is still 
crucial research that needs to be done. If this discussion saves one women, one woman, one person out there, then uh, hopefully we, we've done our job. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to direct people to find out more about National Wear Red Day at wearredcanada.ca, wearredcanada.ca. Thank you so much for your time, Doctor. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Dr. Rupinder Sandhu is cardiologist and a director of the Women's Cardiovascular Health Initiative at the Libent Cardiovascular Institute. And as we prep for our Valentine's Day celebrations, what about working on improving your relationship with debt as well? May not be all that super romantic, but BDO Debt Solutions, they're saying it might be a good time to dedicate yourself to improving these sorts of relationships with your money and particularly your debt. Joining us to discuss is Nicole Olson, licensed insolvency trustee and senior vice president at BDO Debt Solutions. Good morning to you, Nicole. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, so, Nicole, why is it so important to have a good relationship with money? I think it's a great time to kind of reevaluate. Like, it's, you know, love is in the air. People have uh, are having, you know, dates. And it's a good time if you're brand new in a relationship or maybe you've even been in a relationship for a really long time. It's really important to have those conversations because you want to make sure that you're both on the same page, that you're both striving for the same goal and you're moving towards the same outlook for your financial future. So this is a really good time to open up that transparency and have these conversations about money. And to flip that around, Nicole, money really does affect our relationship relationships, doesn't it? If we don't figure out how to have that conversation and have a proper relationship, you know, it's, it's kind of a threesome in a relationship, isn't it? It can be. I guess like some studies are saying three quarters of Canadians would think about breaking up or not even starting a relationship due to a partner's debt. And debt is one of Canada's top three deal breakers in a partnership uh, right behind infidelity and addiction. So there's debt too. So these are big things that can really affect that relationship and your future going forward. Nicole, you kind of, you said something, you know, and for you it was super casual the way you said it. You said you have to have these conversations. Of course, you're a financial professional. These conversations might be easy for you, but in the thick of a relationship, it might be hard to bring it up. So any tips on how we get the ball rolling conversation-wise? It can be. Um, there's a lot of, of shame surrounding especially debt and how we utilize our money. And you know, we do need to drop that shame. Money is one of the things that we do need to have this conversation about because it creates these mental health issues. And, and you're right, sometimes it's easy for me, but it's not. It's still hard for me to talk to my husband about money, even though I talk about money day in and day out. It might be why, why I don't like talking about it all that often. Um, but you have to have that transparency and conversation because if you don't, it's one of those things that's going to hide in the closet and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And then we start keeping secrets from our partner. And then when it comes out, it's even harder to struggle and deal with and come up with a solution and and people can be really affected by some of these secrets like especially if you're going through a divorce and you don't realize that there was a lot of debt uh, potentially joint debts assets that might have been affected and it can really break down um, at that point in time when it breaks down a relationship nicole i don't recommend doing it on valentine's day but your thoughts on a regular date night to discuss money 
It is. So as crazy as it is, that I had to like convince my husband to go out for dinner with me once a month and we would talk about money. He doesn't like to talk about it, but if I can entice him with food, <laughs> uh, we can have that conversation. And I highly recommend at least once a month or maybe even quarterly connecting with each other and saying, hey, are we on the right track? We set goals in our life for like, this is when we want to get married. Maybe this is when we want to move in. This is when we want to go on a vacation. We should also discuss things like this is when we want to have our debts paid off, maybe purchasing a new vehicle. All of these things require money. And if you're not on the same page, you can't use your resources effectively. You know, we, we, we're really focusing here on the relationship with our spouse, for example, Nicole, but what about the relationships mm. within the house, like maybe our, our children or, or whatever it might be, whatever that family unit looks like? Should everybody be included? I think to a certain extent, you need to make sure that it's age appropriate for your children, but absolutely your kids should be included in the conversation about what the money, what the family has as far as money and what they don't. So telling your kids like, hey, we don't have dinner, uh, like money for McDonald's every weekend, um, or this is your allowance because of this is a, is a good conversation to have. And even giving children the ability to manage their own funds with even just a small allowance where they could manage their expectations and their savings is really good to get them involved in that conversation early because the last thing you want to do is not talk to your kids about it and then they're out on their own in their 20s and they're going to be making all of those big mistakes that we all do as human beings to learn on their own. Yeah, exactly. It's true. And then they carry it into their relationships and then, you know, it, it just perpetuates that cycle of of not being able to have a good relationship with money and our partner and to talk about it openly. And, and you're right, before you get together with somebody, it is a very important discussion to have to see where people sit on you know spending on saving on all of that kind of thing because it, it changed thing changes things dramatically yeah well you see all those tiktok memes about like you have a spender and you have a saver yeah. and they're driving in the car and they're miserable together um each person needs to take accountability for some of the spending and some of the savings uh one person may be really good at saving so have them save for the long-term goals the other person who may spend more could focus on saving for the short-term goals that way you're both utilizing those skills together Incredible. Thanks for your time, Nicole. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. And uh, obviously super timely. Nothing says romance like talking about Absolutely money. Absolutely it does. It's very <laughs> romantical. Uh, thanks so much, Nicole. All right. Have a great day. Nicole Olson, licensed insolvency trustee and senior vice president at BDO Debt Solutions.